0: So when I was younger, I have some very fond memories of working in the garden that my dad um, created on the side yard at at the house I grew up in in Southern California. Um, My dad had a lot of different things. It wasn't a very large space, but he made sure to maximize its potential. So it was covered in all kinds of vegetables, fruit trees, things like oranges, peaches, snap peas, zucchinis, tomatoes, and he still maintains it to this day. Um, and my dad always wanted us kids to help him out. Um, I kind of have a suspicion that I'm the oldest of four and that he was secretly just trying to raise up a gardening crew that could help him keep up his garden. So. I can remember very distinctly on Saturday mornings, I would wake up, I'd go downstairs, I'd watch cartoons and it would be a little while before my dad would call all of the children out and he'd say, go change, we're gonna go do some gardening work. So there we would be, we'd be you know, down on our hands and knees pulling out weeds, we'd be planting new plants, we'd be tearing out the ones that had, their season had ended and it was time to put something new. And like I said, my dad was really meticulous in his details. And there was probably no place that my dad was more meticulous about his details was than with his soil composition. My dad, I I can also remember very distinctly, part of it is, is the smell still hasn't left my nose, but I would pile in the minivan and I'd go with him to Home Depot and he would have me lift up these big, packs of soil, topsoil, manure, fertilizer, and we'd grab it and we'd throw it in the back of, our, of the minivan and we'd drive back to the, the house and the whole way I'd have my nose pinched like this so I didn't have to smell the, the stinky soil and then we'd throw it all into a giant wheelbarrow and we'd mix it all together because my dad wanted to make sure that the things that he was growing in this garden had the best soil, that they had the best chance of not only surviving, but thriving and and bearing fruit. So as I hear this parable, I cannot imagine my dad being so reckless with the seed, like the sower that we've just read about, right? The sower, he's just tossing it here and there with almost no regard for the soil that he's sowing upon. Any gardener or farmer, they would hope to plant a fruitful crop and they'd be very, very careful about where they sow. But I think the point that Jesus is trying to make here, it's not about the effectiveness of the sower's farming methods, but rather it's a commentary on the fertility of the soil that the sower encounters. God is the one who sows seed of the gospel far and wide, but only those hearts that truly hear the word, those that put the gospel into practice, That's what can be considered good soil. And however though, when that seed does take root in that good soil, the harvest is abundant. It's overflowing with fruit. Now the key to this parable that Jesus is is teaching us is how one hears it, but not only how one hears with their ears, but how they respond with their life to it. Listening to Jesus' words, that's the key to our life right listening should then lead to right doing so the question that i that jesus i think wants to ask us today is what kind of soil is your heart made up of if you want to personalize that for a second you might say what kind of soil resides in my heart so before we dig into Jesus's interpretation of the parable that he's given, I want to say a couple of things real quick about parables to help us understand what it is that Jesus is doing by teaching in parables. Uh, you can translate the Greek word for parable something along the lines of to throw alongside. Parables, they're comparisons. In particular, Jesus takes the familiar agriculture planting, sowing, a harvest, things that his first century Jewish audience would know a lot about, and he uses the familiar to describe the unfamiliar, the kingdom of God, something that seems a little bit more foreign to their understanding. The, parable, the parable's aim, it's not just to make a point, but actually it's to move us to action. One scholar says a parable is an expanded analogy used to convince and persuade. It's not just information. A parable is about decision. It's about life change. Jesus speaks in parables to form our imaginations, to give us a picture of what life in God's kingdom is like and how we can live in response to that. As Jesus himself says at the end of the parable, He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus asks us to hear the parable because everything in the Christian life, it flows from our initial hearing of the gospel. Jesus then gives us commentary on the types of soil and why they respond to the gospel as they do. As we look at Jesus' interpretation, It's an opportunity to examine how we ourselves have responded to Jesus' gospel, to the word sown in our midst. Like I said, Jesus isn't trying to create a didactic meaning that you grasp with your head, but it's an opportunity for reflection, for life change. Now, as we consider each soil in turn, I'll offer both a description and a question for reflection that will challenge us to identify the soil of our heart. So let's start with the seed sown on the path, which is quickly devoured by the, ver- by the birds. In verse 19, it speaks about the word that has been sown in the heart. Jesus describes this as those who hear the word, but they don't understand it. Now, let's be clear, this lack of understanding, it doesn't have anything to do with the intelligence of Jesus' audience. But like we saw in verse 19, it has to do with the condition of their heart. The heart, it's hard like the path here in the parable. Jesus makes it clear that hearing with your ears and intellectually understanding with your mind, the message of the kingdom, that's that's not enough. A hearing without an embodied response isn't actually a real hearing at all. Now you might call this perhaps Teenage hearing. I'm familiar with this because when I was a teenager, my parents would throw out all kinds of things for me to hear that I didn't actually hear. Taylor, clean your room. Taylor, empty the dishwasher. Taylor, take out the trash. Now, did I have difficulty understanding intellectually what trash was or what clean meant? No, but the hearing The real hearing, the hearing that meant, oh, I should stop playing video games and respond with my life to what my parents were saying, that kind of hearing, eh, not so much. And I think this is the kind of hearing that Jesus is challenging us with here, right? It's a hearing that penetrates our hearts, our lives. It's not just something that we can take in in one ear and then send right out the other because we don't want to do something about it. The soil on the path hears Jesus with its ears, but it doesn't hear Jesus with its heart. It bounces off like hard pavement, and the seed, it just won't root. This is the attitude of those who maybe don't have an interest in God, or maybe they hear the word of God, but their skepticism, it stops them from taking it in to their hearts. So here's the first question. Are you like the seed on the path? Have you shut out the word of God from your life, whether completely or maybe just in part? To truly hear Jesus' teaching means having an appropriate response in your heart and a life that demonstrates that understanding. Now, too often, I think we've diluted the gospel down to a set of intellectual propositions that if only we would know in our heads these things about God, we'd have the answers. But that's the way of the path, friends. Right thinking, while it's important, it's not all that there is. Jesus doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to to push through to a hearing of the heart. Now, to quote the Christian philosopher and theologian James K.A. Smith, he says the following, Jesus's command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with His to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand kingdom of God. That's what this parable is about. Part of responding to the gospel is learning to love what God loves. It's being open to learning from and being transformed by the word of God. Now, some realities of the kingdom of God, they won't make sense until we take that step of faith, of trusting Jesus with our lives. And this is only done through regularly hearing and obeying the word. So next, Jesus says, the rocky soil is anyone who who receives the word with joy, but they don't have the roots to sustain a long-term faith due to the difficulty and trials of life. Now, in Palestine, it wasn't uncommon to find soil that was full of rocks. Oftentimes, a small layer of topsoil would, would sit on top of a, a limestone layer of rock underneath it. And the early morning dew would, would wet the, the soil and it would allow the seed to sprout, to germinate but the soil itself, it wasn't deep enough to dig down and to really root properly. And so the hot afternoon sun would beat down on this this little seedling and it would wither up and it would die. Now, while it's much more accepting of the word of God than the first soil, the soil of the path, the result of this rocky soil is the same. There's no fruit because the seed could not take root for long enough. A response to the gospel that starts with enthusiasm on the one hand but quickly fades in the midst of adversity is little more than someone living for the moment. Now, this soil's description should be a warning to us against any kind of prosperity gospel. Yes, the Christian life, it's full of joy, but that joy does not preclude difficulty and suffering. This kind of feel-good Christianity, it runs away from not only pain, but also in some instances, just from boredom. It can't deal with life's complexity. Now, I'm reminded of this because in youth ministry circles, there's this phenomenon that's called the camp high. It's a good example, I think, of this rocky soil. So students, they'll go away for camp for a week, and you know, this funny thing happens. They spend a week surrounded by other Christians their own age. They spend a lot more time than they normally might reading the word of God, praying together. And they leave their distractions, you know, maybe some friends who aren't good influences or, or for that matter, just their phones. They leave those things aside. And all of a sudden, imagine this, they have a clearer picture of not only who God is, but who they are in light of that. Now, some students, they might make big commitments about how they're going to change when they return. But often, as soon as they board the bus, they instantly turn their phones back on, and they run into those same temptations over and over again. They have barely left camp, and the weight of the world is back on their shoulders. And over time, slowly, this emotion, it fades, and life returns to normal. Now, Jesus said that the problem with having shallow roots is that when the storms of life and the scorching droughts of life come, and to be clear, they will come, whether that's financial trouble, the loss of a job, the death of a loved one or a divorce, that person, they wilt under the struggle because they were not deeply rooted in God. Instead, Jesus tells us that we are to build our house upon the rock, upon the word of God that is planted deep in our hearts so that we might weather the storms that come our way. So here's the second question. Is my heart like the rocky soil? Is my love of God, is it shallow or does it run deep? Now this summer, we've been reading a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary, and the author Reverend Tish Harrison Warren, she writes about how our liturgy can be a way of fighting against this propensity for entertainment and for novelty. Here's what she writes. I worry that when our gathered worship looks like a rock show or an entertainment special, we are being formed as consumers, people after a thrill and a rush. When what we need to, is to learn a way of being in the world that transforms us day by day by the rhythms of repentance and faith, we need to learn the slow habits of loving God and those around us. The kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. So these words from Reverend Tish, they challenge me to continue to quietly persevere in my faith. To be honest with you, there are days when prayer just feels boring. But I trust that my life doesn't need to be constantly exciting for God to be at work. In the little things, the daily ordinary things, I can still seek God. And when that trouble comes, I can lean on the truth of scripture that challenges the emotionally charged way that I'm currently viewing my world. A true response to the gospel has roots that go down deep, a life of devotion, prayer, and obedience that praises God in blessing, in boredom, and also in brokenness. So the third soil is the person who hears the word, but over time the cares of the world, in particular wealth in some instances, it chokes out the seed and it renders it fruitless. The seed of the gospel, it comes in and it sprouts up just fine, but it faces competition in the heart of the hearer from all the other things and cares that are taking up space in their heart. This doesn't appear to be nearly as dangerous a threat as perhaps the persecution and the troubles of the rocky soil, but the anxieties of the world, those things are silent killers. They can poison a heart that from all intensive purposes, from the outside, from the surface, looks like things are going well. The world, it promises salvation through success and financial security, And we can be left chasing, grabbing after those things instead of being devoted to God. The wisdom of the world and the temptation to find our safety and our security apart from Jesus that can choke out God's word in our life. Whatever stage of life we're at, there are all sorts of distractions that can draw our attention away from God. Now, I want to be clear about this. Wealth in and of itself it's not a bad thing. I know many devout Christians who use their financial success to support and create opportunities for gospel ministry. And I think even planning and saving, again, those aren't bad things. But think about this. Do you notice in your own heart how easy it is to shift from this careful thinking to worry without even realizing it? Wealth, it can be like a thorn because it can look harmless from a distance, but when you get up close, it cuts your hand. It, it, it gets you. To this end, C.S. Lewis said the following in Mere Christianity. One of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you can be quite satisfied with this kind of happiness money can give and so fail to realize your need for God. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks, you may forget that you are at every moment dependent upon God. We can have cluttered hearts that restlessly worry. And in order to find some peace in our hearts, we will latch on to, we'll grab at anything that seems like it's going to give us peace. We need to find a better paying job maybe so that we can afford that bigger house that we've been wanting. And once we do that, you know, we'll, we'll have peace. And this search for more and more and more on our terms can cause us to forget about God. So here's the question again. Is my heart like the thorny soil? Am I constantly distracted and defeated by the cares of this world? Now finally, we've arrived at the fourth soil, the good one, the one that bears fruit as the sower had hoped. Now notice, there's no mention of irrigation, of fertilizer, of weeding, all the care that a good farmer would put into the soil so that it would produce a crop. All this soil must do is to give the seed room to grow unencumbered. And when that happens, Jesus tells us, there is a great harvest many more times than the seed that was initially sown. A tenfold harvest, now that would have been an exceptional harvest. A farmer would be excited about that. But the harvest that Jesus talks about, it's 30, 60, even a hundredfold. It's an amazing harvest. Now what Jesus wants us to see is that the sower, he hasn't continually been broadcasting his seed in vain. If he never sows, there will never be a harvest. So the sower generously lavishly sows, even in places when the ground doesn't seem great. Part of the reason that Jesus tells this parable is to describe the growing hostility that he and the disciples are experiencing. Not everyone responds positively to the message of the gospel. However, if any of that seed does find the good soil, that harvest, it more than makes up the effort expended by sowing. Now, additionally, I think our Old Testament passage in Isaiah, it helps us to understand what God is up to. This Isaiah passage, it was a promise from God in a time when Israel was a captive nation, few in number. However, in the midst of all of that, God promises that he's not done with Israel. In verse 10, he promises that just as the rain does not return to the clouds before watering the earth, God's word will not return empty until it accomplishes God's purposes in the world. It's only a matter of time before the signs of the people's restoration will appear. Restoration is as inevitable as the sprouting of greenery after the rainfall. God's work of sowing, it's not pointless it will eventually transform the world. Despite all the seed that did not bear fruit, there will still be an abundant harvest. And what is amazing is that God continues to use the fruitful soil to continue to sow more gospel seeds so that others might respond in faith. And so I was thinking about this last soil, the good soil, and how it can be generative of even more gospel ministry I thought about a story from my own youth. Um, I grew up in Southern California, as many of you know, and so the Mexican border was about an hour and a half from where I lived. So the church that I grew up in, we had this regular rhythm of going across the border, whether to Tijuana or to Ensenada, and to serving local churches and people in need in those communities. Now one year we did this and we were planning to do a a VBS for a bunch of churches in the Ensenada area. And so a pastor from the organizing church, he came and he spoke with us the, the Sunday that we arrived. And he thanked us for coming and for sharing the gospel with these kids. He said, this is so important. He said, I can't believe that you guys would give up a spring break to come and share the gospel. This is amazing. And then he proceeded to tell us that 30 years before, He had heard the gospel for the very first time from a group of American students who came and did a VBS program. That's where he heard the words of Jesus for the first time. And despite the challenges of his poor upbringing, he moved into the city and he attended a Bible college. And he had this vision from God of starting a church He wanted to serve other people. He wanted to tell people about Jesus, just like the American missionaries who visited him. And eventually his church, it grew and it grew and it became a large church in Ensenada, a church with a lot of influence and a church as it so happened that was partnering with my church to spread the gospel even further. Because of the work of God in his life, he continued to sow seeds that produced this giant, abundant harvest that the parable speaks about. So in closing, the parable of the sower, it isn't just a nice little story that Jesus tells, but it's a story that should convict and encourage us simultaneously. Ears that are distracted, that are inattentive, that are casual, that are divided in their concentration, those kinds of ears, that kind of a heart, it's not fruitful. But as we've been pondering the soil of our hearts, we know that God hasn't given up on the harvest. Only the power of almighty God can overcome the obstacles thrown up by this world. Obstacles of cynicism and despair, of media hype and incessant novelty, of just sheer busyness and greed. But in God's grace and mercy, he sends his word to us. And by receiving that word and doing that word, that's all that's necessary for it to bear fruit. Thanks be to God that he continues to sow seed and transforms hearts today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.